Turn next to someone. Now, my mom's coming in uh, Tuesday. Yay. Who likes moms? Anybody? Yeah. My mom's coming in Tuesday. We're going to hang out with her for a little while. Uh, but I thought as we get to, uh, to talking about Saul again, uh, we'd start with moms, if that's okay. Think back to your mom, if she's still here. Maybe you're sitting next to her. I don't know. Uh, think back to your childhood with her, though, and think of her favorite sayings to you, especially when she was correcting you. Does anybody have a, a mom saying that she would kind of repeat over and over again to you? Turn next to someone and tell what your mom would say to you when she was correcting you in life. What was those words? All right, I see people talking. Yeah, obviously, it'll be unique to your experience. One of mine, though, I think is a more common phrase that moms used on kids. My mom would say some form of this, you think you're the only person in the world. Does it, have everybody got that one? I got that one on the regular. And, and just to be fair, she was right. I did think I was the only person in the world. Everything revolved around me. It's something we have to challenge our kids in in life. You're not the only one here. Uh, but then she would always kind of, uh, at, at the crescendo or at the, fi- you know, she would be turning from the uh, disciplining moment and heading back out the room, and she would kind of mutter under her breath, that's enough of this foolishness. Does anybody ever remember their mom telling them to knock it off with the foolishness? My mom's mouth, I remember, would pucker in a certain way when she would say foolishness. And uh, I just remember that, uh, that, that mom was anti-foolishness. Who in here is anti-foolishness? Anybody? Let's get rid of stupid. My, my wife was at a, 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 not the, well, I should, well, I'll clarify. My wife was at a, a luncheon this past week with a government official, and that's one of her catchphrases. Let's get rid of stupid. And what her point is, is let's be done with foolishness. Not, don't think of people in your life who are stupid. We're not trying to get rid of them. We're just trying to get rid of foolish choices. Is everybody with me on that? If you could get rid of the stupid in your life, in your choices, would you be a happier person? All of us would. We get to come to our Bibles and actually see real life people. That's what I love about our Bibles. It, 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 it doesn't pull punches. It just tells the story as it is. And so at one moment, uh, one of the heroes in our scriptures could be a true hero and honoring God, and, and then they fall for stupid. And they just settle for foolishness, and they head in different directions. Uh, we've been studying uh, the story of Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel, um, a wise follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, in the telling of his story, we don't get a stupid story on Samuel. He nails it, okay? I'm sure he made mistakes, don't get me wrong, but, but overall in the record here of 1 Samuel, Samuel nails it. He is compared to another guy in the story that we're studying right now called Saul. Saul does not nail it. Uh, Saul is constantly, even in the first couple of years of his kingship, um, uh, being seen as foolish. It says in 1 Samuel 13, 13, that uh, in a conversation that Samuel has with Saul here in chapter 13 of the book, he says to him, after Saul has unwisely chosen to give the sacrifices that God had intended Samuel to give, had given specific instructions to Saul to wait for Samuel to give these sacrifices. If you were here that week, Saul does it himself, which is basically how every sin happens, right? Do it yourself, right? Uh, And so Saul blows it, and this is how Samuel classifies that choice. He says, you have done, say it with me, foolishly. And you have not kept the command of the Lord, your God, which he has commanded you. Um, Foolishness in in our Bibles is, is anything that deviates from God's 
order and plan for your life. That's foolish. That's what Saul had done. And there was a consequences, consequence for it. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. And he goes on and says, but that's not going to happen anymore. Saul, uh, you're the only one who's going to sit on this throne from your family. God's going to go in a different direction uh, once you're done. Foolishness comes with consequences. We can talk more about that later. Uh, but still, it's this thing we run into. The, uh, the, uh, the first Bible that I had uh, as I came online with Jesus is this one. Uh, it was mine in college, and uh, I was a, a, a college uh, junior when I put my, uh, I already had my faith in Jesus, but when I put my, my interest, my heart into Jesus, uh, I started um, scrolling through and writing in this Bible. I don't expect you to see it. Close up. But uh, I just wore this out. Y'all know if you have a paper Bible, you can write in it, right? I actually encourage you to take notes, write notes, ask yourself questions. It's what the margins are for, right? And so in this particular period of my life, I studied the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, uh, basically says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then the next phrase is this, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's kind of the gateway to the Proverbs because over and over again, you read in its verses, uh, wise people do this, but fools do this. A fool does this, but a wise man does this, right? It's the choices that we make in life that determine our foolishness, our, our wisdom. And so as we kind of embark on this next part of Saul's story, I thought it'd be great for us, if, uh, if you're here today for this, uh, I want to talk to you after because this is not what I hope you're looking for in life. But if you wanted some foolproof ways to be a spiritual fool, you have come on the right Sunday, people. I'm going to teach you how to be the biggest idiot you can be in a spiritual sense. We're going to uh, learn from our, our fearless leader, Saul, uh, just how to do that. And so uh, let's start reading together. The first thing we're going to see uh, that Paul, uh, Saul teaches us about being a spiritual fool is that spiritual fools dictate to God what he wants from them in life. If you want to be a spiritual fool, get really good at telling God how things are going to go. Get really good about making up his mind for him. Some people, you know, you're like, that's so silly. Oh, stop it. We're all guilty of that sometimes. God, I got a great idea. I know you like it. Here it comes. Now do it. And we dictate to him how things should go. Uh, if you don't remember, last week we were talking about uh, a story where Saul's son, Jonathan, uh, they've been, uh, Israel has been basically uh, occupied by a, an invading force, the Philistines, the age-old enemy of, of the Israelites, uh, have, have commandeered the land. They are oppressing Israel uh, on every level, militarily, economically. That's all last chapter. Uh, in chapter 14, though, we see the story, we studied it last week, where Jonathan is inspired by God in faith to charge up a mountain and fight 20 dudes by himself, except for his caddy, Carl. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. He had an armor bearer. The two of them went up. They had an incredible victory. It was like an Avengers movie. It was just awesome. And this is what sparked the uprising in the nation of Israel, soldiers who had been hiding in holes, caves, and cisterns, uh, including Saul, who was hanging out in a cave, all came out to fight and rise up against the Philistines uh, per Jonathan's inspiring victory. Uh, so what we read today is actually the behind-the-scenes uh, account of that battle as it takes place. 
And it's going to reveal to us some foolproof ways to be a spiritual fool. First one is to dictate to God what he wants from you in life. And this is how Saul does that. It says, uh, verse 24, the men of Israel on this day of uprising had been hard-pressed. Of course they'd been hard-pressed. They'd been fighting for their lives. Uh, uh, never been to war. Appreciate all of you who serve in our military. Uh, but, uh, uh, man, uh, can you imagine being on the front lines, hand-to-hand combat, mano y mano? Either you die or I die. Stressful stuff, right? And over and over again, having to protect yourself, protect your life, protect the lives of those who serve in the Israeli army with you. Uh, The men of Israel obviously had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul has this brilliant idea. He lays down an oath, not one given to him by God. The oath is this. He said, Cursed is the man who eats food until it is evening, and I am avenged on my enemy. And so his soldiers that day, as they fought against the Philistines, uh, had this other you know, side thing to worry about. I, I'm not allowed to eat. Now, in all the situations that it might be good to refuel, I think fighting for your life would be one of them. Is everybody with me on this? But Saul decides, here's what I'm going to do, and, and just really brief, uh, Saul's kind of had a bad record, him and God, in the last couple instances, right? Uh, he has a, a great uh, uh, spirit-led uh, uh, leadership moment a few chapters ago where he leads Israel against a, uh, a nation called the Ammonites, and they def- defend one of their cities called Jabesh Gilead. Uh, but since then, uh, he's, he's replaced Samuel as the sacrificer in chapter 13, this past uh, week, we, we saw him as, as he got ready to, to lead this fight against the Philistines. Uh, he, he called the priest in to do all the things that the, the priest of Israel should do. And then he says, move your hand. He, he tells him, stop, we got to fight now. And he, and he, once again, twice, he, he, he misses out on the blessings of God. So he's thinking, wait a minute, I know that I need God if this is going to work. And so here's how I'm going to get God on my side. I will make up a rule. I'll dictate to my men that they must fast, a very spiritual act. Fasting's all through your Old Testament. It's tied uh, to many of the, the sacrifices and the feasts. That's funny, feasts, not feasts. Fasts uh, that were prescribed in worship in Israel. And so Saul, without God say so, says, God's going to curse anybody who eats while they're fighting today. Now let's go. And it says that none of the people tasted food, even though they were hard-pressed that day. It's not a tactical choice. It's a spiritual one. One given as a makeup call. I used to play sports in high, uh, high school and college basketball. And uh, referees make bad calls. Anybody had your team had a bad call, man? A lot of times, they'd never say this out loud, but referees will sometimes uh, make a, an additional bad call on the other team to make up for the last call. It's called a makeup call. I used to call it a Maybelline call because Maybelline is a form of makeup. But uh, uh, that's what Saul is in in essence doing here. It's a makeup call. I blew it with the whole sacrifice thing uh, with Samuel. I blew it, uh, you know, and I I pulled up the tent pegs too early with the priest in in the early parts of this fight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell uh, God how we're gonna make things right. Reminds me of when I used to punch my sister as a little kid. Anybody remember punching your sister? None of me? Okay, just me. Uh, And she would cry, which is her right to do. I shouldn't have punched her. I'm not justifying the behavior. But my move after that was let's keep mom out of this. Anybody remember doing that? 
Let's make sure mom doesn't know. And so I would start to create the means by which she would receive her vengeance. And it was almost always, here, hit me, which was such a, so lame. Sorry, Aaron, if you're watching. It didn't hurt when she hit me. She could have hit me like all day long. I was like, yeah, hit me. And according to me, we'll be even. And let's keep mom out of this. That's what Saul does. Hey, God, according to me, this is how we'll be even. You ever done that? Made deals with God? Hey, God, to atone for what I've done or to receive from you what I'd like, here's the deal. And we give them our terms. Can anybody guess if this is going to work out in Saul's life? Is it going to work out in anybody's life when we start dictating to God how our relationship with him will go? It doesn't work out. And just so you know, the the more you do this, it's folly, it's foolishness, and it's going to lead you to discouragement, and then you're going to have the audacity to blame God for the whole thing. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, it says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Like God's up there, first of all, you blew it on the front end. Secondly, you're blowing it on the back end. You made up the terms. They didn't work out because they weren't ever going to work out, and now you're mad at me for them not working out. Saul's going to go in all kinds of directions away from God as he progresses down this path of folly and foolishness. We should not. We should live our lives accepting from God his direction, choosing his path over ours, trusting not in our own understanding. If you want to be a spiritual fool, go ahead and dictate to God what he wants from you in life. Second one's this. If you want to be a spiritual fool, make life all about you. Just love that person in the mirror above all things and everyone else. You'll be the biggest fool in the world. Look what it says. It says, cursed be the man, verse 24, who eats food until it is easy, evening, and then he tips his hand. Until who is avenged, Saul says? Until I am avenged. And until uh, I am avenged on my enemies. You're going to see, if you keep reading about Saul, he, he's really obsessed with himself, with his victory. Now, you remember a couple chapters ago, Jonathan actually has a, a, a lesser battle, a lesser victory, but you remember what Saul does when he announces that victory to Israel? He makes it his own, like every good boss in the world ever does, right? If my underlings uh, get a win, it's because I'm a great boss. And we tell our people up the line, look what I did, even though we didn't have anything to do with it, right? That's Saul. Saul is about himself. He's made his life all about himself. And so anything that he brings to life returns to him. Our kids uh, are still learning our birthdays. Does anybody know this about your kids? Do your children know when your birthday is? Uh, How about Father's Day and Mother's Day? Every year, you know it's Mother's Day this weekend, guys. (gasps) Anybody had this with their kids? Yeah, just not real calendar strong individuals. and so there have been times with our children where we've gotten the uh, hurry up quick gift. Has anybody gotten the hurry up quick gift? Oh, I thought we were just having lunch today. It's your birthday? Hang on, let me see what I got in my car. <laughs> now, this doesn't happen all the time. I shouldn't, you know, 
bag on my, they're awesome, I love my kids. But there have been times where like Ben has given me a card, a quickly handwritten card or something like that, and inside is something from his life, like a gift certificate to a skateboarding shop. <laughs> Happy birthday, Dad. Uh, I've never actually gotten one of those, but uh, uh, it'd be like, uh, well, thanks, Ben. Don't skateboard. Right? Uh, trying to stay off of one of those things, but I appreciate the thought. And here's what happens. You have lunch. You kind of hang out. And then uh, as he's about to leave the house, he comes back to you and he says what? Uh, hey, man, you going to use that gift certificate? Uh, no. He said, would you mind if I took it back? Sure. Happy birthday, Dad. All right. And off we go. Didn't actually happen, but something like it has uh, and and th- that'd be akin to me coming up to Eleanor on her birthday this year and being, babe, I thought of you, and I got you this new set of ping uh, irons, this new set of golf clubs uh, that were fitted to me at the golf store. Uh, it's in this great bag, and I also got you several, uh, you know, man's uh, shirts, my size. Here you go. Happy birthday. And then come back and be like, hey, are you going to use that stuff? Okay, everybody picking up what I'm putting down? It's in essence what we do when we say to God, bless me, provide for me. That's what a fool does. A fool comes to life with God and says, bless me, make my life better, it's all about me. But a wise person submits to God and offers this, God, I'm yours. Use me in your plans for your glory. This life you've given me is centered on and about you If you want to be a spiritual fool, dictate to God what he wants from you in life and then make life all about yourself. You'll bring ruin wherever you go. Let's keep reading the story because we've got three more of these to get to. Saul does both uh, of these foolish things and it backfires big time on him. Look what happens. In verse 25, he's made this this oath that uh, he's forced upon Israel, this rule that is not from God. So when all the people came to the forest, verse 25, Behold, there was honey on the ground, okay? Uh, Some log that had uh, bees in it had split open, and the honeycomb and the honey had spilled out there on the forest floor, and these soldiers were looking at it. It was like, you know, uh, fasting. Anybody ever fasted? If you fasted for any amount of time, you're going to hear in your car the restaurant commercials at a volume you've never heard them before, okay? They're just louder when you're not eating. You're like, oh, I didn't know Burger King had double Whoppers on right now. Oh, you know? And so this is what's happening in the minds of these soldiers. They're starving. They've been fighting for their lives, and there it is. They've walked into Golden Corral. The the honey's on the ground. And they have to stand there and not eat it. And when the people entered the forest, it says in verse 26, behold, the honey was dropping, but not one of them put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the consequence of the oath, the curse that had been proclaimed by their king. But here comes Jonathan. In verse 27, it tells us that Jonathan had not heard. Read, he was not being disobedient, like outwardly rebellious. He just hadn't gotten the tweet, all right? His phone was off. So he had not heard that his father had charged the people with the oath. So he comes in. He's been fighting all day. He's starving. He sees the honey, and he puts the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and he dips it in the honey. And I picture it being like that long, you know, lits it kind of into his mouth, and he fills his mouth, and it spills over his face, and he's like, you guys want some? Uh, He does it again, right? 
And he eats so much honeycomb that he gets a sugar rush and his eyes become bright. I mean, he's just like, ba-ba! You know, it's like a video game and you, 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 you run over the, you know, the supercharged jewel or whatever. And now your character's like, you know, Mario gets all big, right? Sorry, video games, anybody with me? Glenn, you with me? Yeah. So that's what happens with Jonathan. But here's these other soldiers who have heard the oath and they're watching him in horror. And they're like, what are you doing? One of the people says to him in verse 28, your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed be the man who eats food this day. And then they stood there faint, hangry. Anybody been hangry? Anybody hangry right now? Huh? How is this kid coming in here and eating the honey? His dad told us we couldn't. What kind of nepotism is this? Jonathan hears of this oath and he reveals for us one more way that his father is guilty of foolishness. If you want to be a a spiritual fool, make rules that cause you to miss God's very best. Make rules, not God's, yours, that cause you to miss God's very best in your life. Look what Jonathan says about his dad. Jonathan Jonathan says, my father has troubled the land and everybody who's in it. My, God's, or my father has made a bad choice. It's trouble for the land. It's the same word that was used in uh, uh, Joshua chapter 7 when a guy named Achan uh, stole from the, the plunder of, of the uh, military exploits of Israel and hid uh, this treasure under his tent. And it kept Israel from winning the next battles. You can read about it there. And so uh, Joshua lines everybody up in Israel and says, you know, uh, we got sin in the camp. Uh, There's someone here who's holding us back. And, And finally it comes to Achan. And he says to Achan, you have brought trouble to the land. You've done what God has commanded you not to do. And it's made a mess in our society. It's the same phrase. It's listed here of Jonathan and his dad. He says, my, my father's troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. You guys, you don't know what you're missing. This stuff's the best. Does everybody know that honey is the only food that doesn't spoil? I didn't. He said, verse 30, how much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies? Not just honey. But as our Philistine uh, enemies are fleeing before us and leaving behind their camps and their food, how much better would we have been fighting if we had been fueling? How much better could this have been? For now, the defeat among the Philistines, I love this line. Jonathan finishes this way. The defeat among the Philistines has not been great. Could have been better. We could have experienced more. Certainly God is still blessing us as we you know, uh, rise up against our foe. But, but if we had just stayed his course and not plotted a new one, this could have been better. Now, this is going to miss some of you because you didn't grow up in a church of any kind. But some of us in here uh, grew up in churches where the rules were paramount. There were a lot of them. Uh, I couldn't put my finger on the Bible as to where they came from. I have no idea why my hair could not touch my collar. I couldn't find that verse. I, I didn't understand why denim was associated with devil. Apparently, it was just those two, wor- uh, two letters difference there, right? We had all these rules about everything and anything. 
And uh, uh, listen, in my experience, in that context, I missed Jesus as a result. I know he was preached. I, I know he was you know, behind a lot of uh, what was happening in, in those churches, but I missed him because of all the rules. Uh, I'm not alone in history. Uh, when Jesus comes to the earth, he comes to a Jewish faith that has been completely overrun by legalism. Uh, the, the original rules have been built upon four and five and 10 and 15 and 20 times additional rules added to the originals that God gives. There's 550 that the Pharisees are keeping when Jesus comes on the scene. And so it's no wonder that Jesus comes to these rule keepers and he just blasts them. He, he tells them in Matthew 23, you guys go out and make proselytes. That means followers. You teach them to follow the rules like you follow, and you make them twice the sons of the devil that you are. <gasps> Whoa! Jesus drops the gloves. Five, or seven times he, in, in Matthew 23, he, he says, woe to you, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. My favorite's this one, 23. Chapter 23, verse 23, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. What? We're in the kitchen. We're at the spice rack. They had taken the command of God to tithe and to bring your first fruits into the, the storehouse. And they had gone all the way to get into the, you know, the cinnamon bottle the cumin bottle and being like, all right, we've got to figure out what a tenth is here. And then they put it in a bag and brought it to the storehouse. It's like, you guys, are, you're tithing off your spice rack, but these rules that you've made for yourselves, these additional layers of legalism are keeping you from the weightier matters of the law. He says, you guys have forgotten about justice. You don't know anything about mercy. You look down your nose at almost all of Israel because you think you're righteous and they're not. And faithfulness, the God that you uh, say that you serve, he's not even a part of this in, in your life anymore. It's about, all about you and your self-righteousness and your ability to self-atone. It's like, you guys, you're hypocrites. These things you ought to have done, mercy, justice, and faithfulness. Certainly without neglecting the others, Jesus is careful. I'm not saying that the rules don't count. Keep the rules. Keep God's rules. Please keep God's rules. Everybody listening to me, please keep God's rules. Just don't make new ones that take you away from him. It's so easy to get obsessed with the rules and forget the ruler. So if you want to be a spiritual fool, dictate to God the terms of your relationship with him. Make your life all about yourself. And then get busy making rules that keep you from his best. Uh, next one, here we go. If you want to be a spiritual fool, refuse to own your sin. Something really interesting happens next in the story. So Jonathan's eating the honey, right? Uh, we're going to kind of put a pin in that. Judgment for that is going to come later in the, in the chapter. I'm going to tell you right now. We're not going to get to it because we don't have time in one sermon. But you've got to read through the whole chapter. Can everybody agree with me that we're going to read the whole chapter? Because you're going to watch the shenanigans unfold. As Saul tries to get to the bottom of who has eaten on this day where I commanded it not. But what happens next is really telling. Look, it says in verse 31. 
says they, the Israel army, the Israeli army, struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon. It's about 15 miles, just so we can kind of put this in context. You're fighting for your life and running after the enemy for 15 miles from Michmash to that other word. Okay? I did like four miles yesterday morning. I ran one of them. And I got to tell you, when I got back to the house, I ate. Anybody? Anybody ever gone to like the gym and you're like, oh man, glad that's over. Where's the fridge? Anybody been there? Yeah, I just plowed, man. I was hungry. I'd worked hard. But I'd only gone four miles and I hadn't had to fight anybody for my life. So these guys get to the end of the line here in uh, Aegelon. And of course the people were very faint. Of course they're starving. Now the day ends. This is something that isn't like brought out prominently in our text. But the day ends. The oath is over. Night falls. And these guys are hungry. So the people, it says in verse 32, pounce on the spoil and take sheep and oxen and calves and slaughter them on the ground. I mean, they're just ripping in to everything that the Philistines have left behind. All of their herds, they're just so starved that they're just like, it's going tartar up in here. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Like they are just, they're just famished and they're eating uh, in a way that is dishonoring to God. It says the people ate them with the blood now, from the time of Noah in Genesis chapter 9, it had been prohibited by God for the blood of animals to be consumed. Lots of reasons for that. It's not healthy, okay? Um, spiritually speaking, uh, the blood is life. Leviticus 17, 11 tells us that the blood is an emblem of life. Uh, and so it's used as a, a covering for our sin. Uh, it tells us in Hebrews that without the shedding of innocent blood, uh, there is no sacrifice. There is no atonement for sin, Right? And so for all of history, the shedding of blood in the sacrificial system and the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross has been super meaningful. And so we don't flippantly come to blood like it's a, a, just another section of Publix. Oh, have you gone to the blood section? They've got a great new vanilla latte blood. We, we don't have that, right? It's because spiritually it's, it's an emblem of life and it's not to be trifled with. It's meant for sacrifice. And physically, uh, it's not good for you. And so God had through... Noah and through Moses said no blood. In fact, the early church in Acts 15 was told, do not eat blood or sacrifices given to idols. These guys were so hungry. Why? Because their dodo leader had made a rule that God wasn't a part of. And so their keeping that rule led them to break this rule. Is everybody with me on this? And Saul comes to the scene, and this is what happens. Someone told Saul, hey, verse 33, behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. Here's a question to ask. Uh, Was Saul just not aware that this was actually physically happening uh, amongst his soldiers? Or was Saul just not aware that that was a rule? Uh, If you've been paying attention to his story, not the sharpest tool in the shed when it comes to honoring God and knowing his standards and precepts. Are you with me? We don't know, but whatever the case, Saul finds out, figures out it's wrong, and he does this. You have dealt treacherously, all of you. Look at all you sinners. Someone roll me a big stone over here so we could start doing these sacrifices correct, or start uh, you know, butchering these animals correctly and draining out their blood and doing everything that we're supposed to do. 
It goes on and it tells us that, that that's what they did. They, uh, Saul says this to them, dispense yourselves uh, amongst the people and say to them, let every man bring his ox and sheep and slaughter them here uh, at this stone and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating uh, with the blood. And so every one of the people thought his, uh, brought his ox with him uh, that night and they, they, they uh, slaughtered the animals there. And Saul uh, then went on to build an altar, it says in verse 35, an altar to the Lord out of that very stone. And it was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Now, I don't have time to get into this because we're running out of it. But did God tell Saul to build an altar? No, he's still operating on his own script here. Uh, Going further and further into his self-delusion that I'm not the problem. In fact, looked at me. I just built an altar for God. (laughs) Uh, He says to the people, you've acted treacherously. Time out. Who's acted treacherously? Now, I'm not, I'm not excusing the people from their choices. They shouldn't have done what they've done. Is everybody with me on this? But aren't, isn't this just the human condition? Not my fault. I'm not to blame. Here's all the reasons that this happens. Saul's already started, right? Samuel says, what have you done? And Saul says, well, you weren't coming for the sacrifice. And well, I know we needed to do it before we went and fight. And it was time to fight, according to me. And so I just went ahead and did it. And I didn't want to lose more people. He had all these reasons for his sin, but he never said, yeah, I blew it. Compare him to the guy who follows him on the throne, a guy named David. Now, he also denies his sin for a while, but then his friend Nathan shows up one day and tells him a story about a uh, a master with a lamb and a, a bigger landowner kills the master and takes his lamb. And David's like, this is outrageous. Who is that? And he, Nathan turns to him and says, it's you. And he was talking about how David had taken Uriah, Uriah, uh, that guy, Uriah's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. And she, he had laid with her and she had born a son. And so he had sent Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to the front lines and he died. And Nathan says, you blew it. And so David does like Saul. He's like, can't prove it. There's no DNA. Is that what he does? No, you read the story, and as soon as he is aware of his sin, he breaks down. He pens, read it this week, he pens for us, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Listen, if you don't get anything else because we're going to run out of time, get this. You're a fool sometimes. You make mistakes that lead to other people making mistakes. And instead of pointing the finger at them and denying your involvement in this, the best thing for you and for me is to say, hey, man, here's my part. Yeah, you shouldn't have done that, but here's my failures. That's what Saul should have done. We don't have any woulda, coulda, shouldas here. But if Saul would have confessed and if Saul uh, had uh, repented of his wrong thinking, uh, would he, it was, his, was his kingship going to turn out differently? You could argue yes. Why? Because life is the sum of our choices, people. When we act foolishly, we bring ruin. When we act wisely, God blesses and brings his grace. Saul wouldn't own it. And it goes on to be his continued downfall. Last thing's this. If you want to be a spiritual fool, get out ahead of God and stay there. Has anybody picked this up in Saul's life? He's, he's like so close to being in obedience to God, and he just blows it at the last second every time. Look what happens in the story. 
So they get done doing all these sacrifices. Saul's built this altar. He's feeling pretty close to God, even though he's not right now. (laughs) And this is what he does. He says, well, good. We've done all these great things. We've corrected that wrong. It's probably time to fight. Let's go. He says to the soldiers, let's go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And here's all these soldiers, full bellies. Oh, not hangry anymore. In fact, I feel like I could fight another day. And so here in the middle of the night, Saul makes a brilliant military suggestion. Hey, we got the cover of night on our side. We have just refueled. They've been running from us all day. The time is now. Let's go uh, exact for ourselves this decisive victory. And the people are like, yeah, let's go, Saul. And then one voice speaks up. We know his name is Ahijah. He is a descendant of Eli. Uh, His uncle was Ichabod. He's been there the whole time, kind of behind the scenes. He was the priest that Saul had called last week to come and do everything that was necessary before they went into battle, and Saul said, never mind. But he's still there, apparently, because this is what he does. He says, hey, Saul, uh, why don't we just take a second and let's draw near to God? It's almost as if he said, hey, Saul, you're doing it again. I don't know if you're aware of it, but you're, you're getting way down a road that you haven't really talked to God about at all. And so it tells us that Saul says, all right, fine, let's inquire of God. He probably took, um, I don't have time to explain all that, but he, he basically cast lots and, and asked God to, to, uh, you know, to show them, hey, God, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go fight? Makes sense to me. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But look what it happens. What, what, what does God do? Here in this time-sensitive decision, what does God say? Nothing. You ever prayed and got nothing? God, open the door, close the window, whatever, right? And you just get nothing. Who's been there? What's God doing in the nothing? Is God doing something in the nothing? Certainly, he's keeping his time sheet. He's keeping his clock on things, right? But what else is he doing in the nothing? He's looking to see what you're going to do. Are you going to wait upon the Lord as he renews your strength? All right? Are you going to be good at trusting him even when you're like, come on, God, let's do this? Saul's not good at that. In fact, he's not hearing from God, and this is how the rest of the story goes. Uh, He basically... uh, says, all right, well, I'm going to find out what the problem is. And he goes into this kangaroo court of his. He basically puts all of Israel on this side and himself and Jonathan on this side, assuming that he and his son probably are not to blame. It's someone over there. So they cast lots, and the lots fall to him and his son. And, And the lots continue. They cast it again, and the lots fall on Jonathan. And Saul says to Jonathan, what have you done? And Jonathan says, Dad, I had me some honey. It was good. My eyes went bleep. And he's not apologizing because he's already says, he's already said that his dad has done the troubling thing. His dad's done the wrong thing. I, I picture Jonathan being like, Dad, bro, I-, I did what was right. It's what we should have all been doing as we were fighting our enemies. Saul hears that. You know what he says? That's okay, son. Thanks for letting me know. 
Let's move on. No, he keeps right, he keeps going down this road of like, I am the avenger of God. I will make sure that all debts are paid. And he, if you read the rest of the story, uh, says, well, we're going to kill Jonathan now. Because just like in Joshua, when they aced Achan and his family, if we're going to have success, we have to kill the offender. Judge and jury right there. King Saul. And if you read the story, you know what happens? The people of Israel finally look around and they're like, this is crazy. That guy's a, he's a nut. Surely we're not going to kill Jonathan. And Saul being the big chicken that he is at heart says, oh no, I wasn't going to do that really. I mean, I was just saying maybe we should kill him. I, I, and, and he backs down. And you know how the story ends? Look at verse 44. The story ends and it's like, The Philistines went their way. No decisive victory for Israel. Israel went its way, and God's best, perhaps, had been missed. Why? Because a fool was in charge. A fool who thought that he could dictate to God what he wants from him in life. You want to be a fool? Tell God what's up. He was a fool because he made his life all about him. You want to be a fool? Make your life all about you. He was a fool because he made a bunch of rules that caused him and his people to miss God's best. If you want to be a fool, be a legalist. Make a bunch of rules that aren't in there. And, and, and self-atone. Feel, feel like you're really good because you keep them. Saul was a fool because he refused to own his own sin. Is that you? If it is, you're a fool. And Saul was a fool because he got out of God and he just stayed there. He couldn't get out of his own way. Does anybody know someone like that? Just can't get out of their own way? That's Saul. He's a fool because of it. So that's how to be a fool. Can I tell you how to be wise? Let's, let's, let's end there. Shall we end there? Here's wisdom. Let God tell you how things will work with him. Let his word inform you. Pray and ask his spirit to lead you. Don't get ahead of him. Don't get jumpy. If he says wait, It's good to wait. Let him be the call maker. Make life about God and those that he loves. You're third. God's first. Others are second. You're third. Everybody hold up three for me. Say, this is me. No, say it. This is me. I'm third. Obey God's rules to receive his very best. Just his rules, not your rules, not the made-up ones. Just know what he wants and choose it. Own your sin. Own your sin. Confess your sins one to another. And then finally, tuck in behind God and stay there. Offer him your hallelujah. And just say, I'm following you wherever you lead. That's wise. I hope you choose that. Will you stand with us as we sing?